Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the midweek edition of The Oakley Show. Although I got to say, you know, every day where it's beautiful sunshine and everybody just feels kind of like kicking back and, uh, you know, taking it easy on a patio somewhere, every day feels like a Friday, doesn't it? I know it's the midweek, but it's got that Friday feel to it. And uh, I know a lot of people have knocked off early to watch this World Cup of Soccer thing that's now tied, and I guess uh, going into extra time, as Danny was just mentioning. But, you know, uh, when they score, and this was indicative when the English side scored, you know, there's a lot of lager that has to be replenished because they're throwing it around like in a 50-foot radius. Everybody's getting sprayed. So, you know, you're not going to dress up when you go to one of these outings, right? Right. Because Wear you, your beer gear. Pretty much. That's what it is. Uh, you're going to need a raincoat. A wetsuit. <laughs> yeah, just about. <laughs> so you can wring it out and put it back in the cup. Kind of, sort of. Hey? I, I wouldn't doubt it, looking at some of these lager louts. But uh, all right. Well, that's gotten to be an interesting one was watching the first half. Of course, uh, we're hunkering down here for the uh, next little while on the Oakley Show. Doug Ford, I'm going to pick up his uh, speech from, I guess, the legislature. It's kind of a, a moment where he's addressing the media on various and sundry, sometime between 4.30 and 5, loose and informal-like, because he thinks it's a Friday as well, uh, something along those lines. But, you know, the early signals are that he's... Uh, announced he's going to repeal and replace the sex ed curriculum and go back to the way it used to be, which is interesting because I guess we'll have to brush off some of the lexicon. We'll go again to referring to private parts as your pooter and your schmoony. Uh-oh. Can't hardly <laughs> wait for that. How do you spell that? that? Well, you know, it's not in the spelling. It's in the interpretation of exactly which body parts you're talking about. You know, on this matter, I'm kind of interested because uh, while it became very much a sore spot with the previous liberal government, I think this time around, the Ford folks uh, have learned that you've got to tread carefully. If you don't bring parents into the consultation process, then you're really running afoul of the folks who are the primary stakeholders in all of this. And I think that's where the liberals drop the ball. So while it still may have its place, and this is what I'm going to ask as the first offering here before we pick it up with Doug Ford at the bottom of the hour, if it's appropriate to discuss same-sex marriage, gender identity, masturbation, in the context of the sex ed curriculum, uh, but at what age? What is age appropriate? Because these are the two sticking points, the age appropriateness of these various and sundry topics. And then the other, of course, has to do with parental input. And if you're overt, transparent, and you've done extensive consultation, I think you might still be okay. Now, uh that would trump everything else as uh, a consideration because what you don't want to look like you're doing is advocacy by stealth. And that's what it came across to many that the liberals were all about. They talked about having extensively done consultation, but that was, that was guff. I'm sorry, but it just didn't pass the sniff test. They had done it. They had rushed this thing through. They had assumed naturally that everybody uh, thought like folks south of Bloor across the province and it wasn't to be, and so it bit him in the arse. That's where a lot of the uh, the feedback or the blowback came from. 
So again, age appropriateness and consultation. If you get those two right, uh, you might still be on the right side. Look, some of the things like online bullying, there are new realities. I get it that this curriculum has not been updated since 1998, and perhaps it deserves a do-over. But right now, this is where the government is taking it, back to the future. Or do you think that's a fail going forward, that they need to uh, speak these stark new realities to students as young as 6 and 7 and 8? Is there still a place for these kinds of topics, and at what age? And how much parental input is necessary here? Now, you know, I get where you've got uh, all kinds of things being addressed at the tender ages like 8 and 9, LGBTQ2 and what have you, two-spiritedness, and when you get through with a nine-year-old, you're going to explain it to Stephen LeDrew. I just remember when he was on. Well, yes. no, I mean, he got it. He got kind of confused when he was on Fox News. This is what led to his firing because he went on a competitor, so CTV said. But, I mean, I remember him telling Tucker Carlson when Carlson asked him, what does that mean, two-spirited? Well, it's neither fish nor fowl. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, hang on just a second. Uh, maybe it's important to teach the kids, but what at what age? So this is something... I'm asking you if you believe that there's still a place to discuss same-sex marriage, gender identity, and masturbation, amongst other things, and the whole uh, notion of LGBTQ and so on and so forth, of which there are, I believe, 31 total permutations. How deep a dive do we do on that? Is that important to be taught in a sex ed curriculum in Ontario? And would you be good with that if there were wide consultations with parents, the the primary stakeholders, as I'm saying, and at what age? Or is this just a no-go zone to begin with? You don't want, as a parent, and your word, I guess, is going to count for something if they consult appropriately. Last time around, as I say, parents did not feel that they were given a hearing, not a thorough hearing. And whether the liberals wanted to agree with that or not or disagree with that, uh, it came back to haunt them because there was a critical mass of parents who felt that this had been rammed down or passed through the stealth of uh, whatever. That's how they'd done it. And this is the other thing. You want to be transparent so it doesn't come across that there's any hidden agenda or advocacy of any sort. And to that point, conversely, uh, you may want to understand that this is not driven by social conservatives alone. It's just a broad consultation that involves everybody, and it's extensive, And then at the end of it, we can make our peace with it and say, well, this is the way it works. There's been enough input over enough time that maybe it's not to your liking entirely. But there are enough people who have been who have weighed in on this. And this is the conclusion we've arrived at. That would be the appropriate way to deal with this. You're not going to satisfy everybody 100 percent all of the time. But if you've got uh, good intentions setting forth and you don't sort of predetermine the outcome, which sounds to me what the liberals were doing. And then, of course, they had the whole Ben Levin thing wrapped into that, which, you know, the deputy minister of education, and he's going away doing some hard time because of child porn accusations and for which he was convicted. That's not a good thing. That sort of, it tends to uh, sully the whole impetus of the program. So this is why I'm saying the conservatives want to tread carefully on this, but they want to be meticulous. And if... If in so doing, 
they show transparency and good intentions, then at the end of the day, uh, maybe there are parents who believe, even if they're social conservatives, that yeah, maybe it's time to address certain realities. Online bullying has changed significantly since the last time this curriculum was rolled out in 98. That's a given. And so, too, have other such notions as gender identity, masturbation. Well, as far as I know, that's been around since the 70s when some of us, my cohorts, first discovered it. Uh, So that's a kind of a thing that I would say, okay, it's appropriate, but at what age? Grade one? No, don't think so. You know, again, as I say, uh, if you're going to have to refer to... uh, the PP, the Pooter, or the Shmooney, then probably not time to introduce these other higher art concepts. So uh, this is why I'm wondering if you believe that uh, this Back to the Future, which is what the government's doing in the interim, I believe this at least is going to be the way they're going to roll it out come the fall when the school year starts again. But is it the place that they want to be parked? Or do you believe that going forward, uh, they can massage the message but if it's done in strict consultation with a lot of parents all parents broadly based extensive transparent where do you see this curriculum uh, taking shape or how or do you think it would be a fail going forward if it were status quo 1998 